Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Steve Asawa continues the series of messages on the miracles of Jesus, today looking at the woman with the chronic bleeding. And now, here's Steve. Good morning. Thank you, Vicki and David and Bruce, for just turning our, our hearts and our minds to the the great miracle worker, the one who loves our souls, Jesus. And this morning we're going to look at the healing of a a woman with a chronic discharge of blood. And it's found in three Gospels. You can find it in Matthew 9, in Mark 5, and in Luke 8. And it's kind of interesting and worth noting, I think, that in each of these Gospels, the account of the woman with a chronic blood discharge is sandwiched between another miracle. So the really short version of this miracle is that the woman approaches Jesus for physical healing. He is looking beyond the healing, though. Jesus heals the woman, and then he uses that opportunity to have a personal encounter with her. So before we get into this, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, just pause and just acknowledge that we're in front of, in the midst of, the creator and sustainer of the universe. It's just so amazing. We just pause and realize just who you are and we acknowledge that. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the word made flesh. And we pray that as we open your word this morning, you would just guide us through your spirit to help us apply things to our lives that you would have us learn. And indeed, may that change us and may that bring you honor and glory. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read from, we're going to read the account from Mark chapter 5. And I'm actually going to start at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may live, she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, but was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. 
Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, the account of these two miracles is sometimes referred to as a Markan sandwich, where Mark takes one story and puts it between uh, two pieces of another one. So we've got a slice of bread on top. That's Jairus getting to Jesus, say, come please heal my dying girl. The meat, which is the account of the woman with the chronic bleeding. And then we've got the bottom slice, where Jesus then goes and heals Jairus' daughter. So the outside, the two slices, help us understand the significance of the meat in the middle. So we'll look at that middle part of the the meat first. Now this woman, who's not named in the Bible, has a huge problem, doesn't she? She's had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And we aren't told exactly what it was, whether it's a chronic menstrual disorder or whether it's some other hemorrhage of some sort. But needless to say, it had a huge negative effect on her life. In Leviticus 15, 20-24, we see the rules for purity of a woman during her menstrual period. And then later on in verses 25-27, to it sets out the rules if she has a discharge of blood beyond that. So we'll read the latter part. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. All the days of her discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sets sits shall be unclean as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean till evening. So essentially, anything the woman touched was considered to be unclean and anyone who touched the objects that she touched was also considered to be unclean. Her bleeding would have rendered this woman ceremonially unclean for 12 years. So her situation's not very good. The woman had spent all she had in search of a cure. The doctors she saw only made things worse. 
So not only was she now sick and unclean, she was broke. It's probably safe to assume in this society that she was single. Uh, if she wasn't, possibly divorced. Women were usually married in their early teens when they married, and her bleeding may have prevented a marriage from taking place. If it hadn't, the consistent bleeding may have caused a divorce, in part due to the inability of the couple to have a child. So being unclean also prevented this woman from going to the woman's part of the temple complex. So just think about this. No going to the temple. No husband in a society that valued family and children. No physical contact with others. Not even touching the same objects. She was socially isolated. Pretty much in quarantine. Can you imagine how hard that must have been? What that would do to a person's sense of self-worth? How that would destroy somebody's mental health? Twelve years. Just David had read from Psalm 6, and although it's a, a Psalm of David, just some of the verses kind of think would resonate in some of the things that this lady might have, this woman might have been thinking. You know, Lord, what have I done? Do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Wow. As we read, a great crowd is surrounding Jesus, and they're pressing on him. Everyone wanted to get to Jesus. In verses 27-28, we read that she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. We don't know exactly what she had heard about Jesus but she was desperate and hoped that he can do what the doctors couldn't. Apparently, it was a popular notion that healers had power in their clothes. Perhaps she thought that he had some magical powers. Or maybe she had heard how others were healed when they touched Jesus' garments. Later in Mark's Gospel, we're told that wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in marketplaces and implored him that they might even touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as it touched it were made well. And that's from Mark 6, 56. So this is uh, a picture of a mural from Israel depicting our story. I can't remember the location uh, where this came from offhand, but I'm sure one of these days it will come to me, probably in the middle of the night. In Numbers 15, the Lord tells Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations and put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the, commi- all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. So the requirement to attach tassels to the corner of the garment is also noted in Deuteronomy 22 and 12. And the tassels are there to remind people of the Lord's commandments, to keep them from turning to their own desires, to their own devices. 
I thought about the practice of tying your mitts inside your jacket so that you wouldn't lose them and remember to use them. So question, how do you, how do I, remember to keep the Lord first and foremost in our thoughts as we go through our days? Matthew and Luke both note that the woman figured it would be enough to touch the fringe of his garment. And it's possible that she reached out and touched the tassels that would have been fastened to the corner of his garment. Unfortunately, our picture doesn't seem to include the tassels. Verse 29 says, Immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. I can't really imagine what her initial thoughts were. It worked. I'm healed. Praise be to God. Life will be so much better now. And Jesus, though, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who did it, who had done it. There was no magic involved in this healing. The fact that the woman touched his garment isn't what affected the healing. Jesus realized power had left him. And I'm going to suggest to you that Jesus, being part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knew this was going to happen and he allowed it to happen. It wasn't that the woman was healed and Jesus reacted after the fact. He knew in advance. So Jesus asks, who touched my garments? And the disciples don't realize what's happening here. And they thought it's a strange question, didn't they? Really, Jesus? Look around. Everyone's trying to get at you. Everyone wants to touch you. Everyone wants to be with you. And you're asking, who touched my garments? So the woman had approached Jesus for healing. It was something that she needed, that she wanted to make her life better, to make her life bearable. Jesus could have just smiled to himself and just chalked it up to another healing, added that to his list of good deeds for the day, and then walked away without anybody knowing that he had healed this woman. But Jesus was looking for a different type of encounter with this woman. He wanted to have a personal encounter with her. He was looking past the physical healing to establishing a personal relationship with her. I'm sure we've all prayed for things that would make our lives or those of family and friends better as well. Sometimes God grants our requests. Sometimes we need to wait. And sometimes the answer is no. God isn't in the business of answering our requests just to make our lives easier, per se. As much as we'd like, it's not all about me, it's not all about you. God has a higher purpose for what he does. A personal encounter, a personal relationship, is what's really important with God. Although we may not understand why things don't happen as we'd like them to, We need to trust that God knows what's best in all circumstances. As we sung, 
Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. And she's busted. And he looked around to see who had done it. Sorry, and he looked around to see who had done it. Ever play hide and seek with a young child? Where are you? Come out, come out wherever you are. You call out, you pretend to look. And all the while you can see their foot sticking out from underneath the chair or you can see the top of their head or you can hear them giggling. You know where they are. In the same way Jesus knew who touched him, he knew where the woman was. But he asked just for her to come out. And we read, but the woman knowing what had happened to her came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now it's possible that this woman was just hoping to slip away after being healed. People would have had a fit if they knew that this unclean woman was walking around them, among them and touching them and making them unclean. She wasn't supposed to be out in public like that. And to make matters worse, her behavior just delayed Jesus getting out to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. So she came in fear and trembling. She was approaching the one whose garment she touched, who had just healed the problem she had for 12 years. What's translated fear and trembling can also be worded awe and reverence. She approached him in awe and reverence. Who is this man, anyway? The man who just healed me? Who knew when I touched the fringe of his garment? Just as Jesus knew who she was, he also knew her story. That was for the others in the crowd. Remember what we just read in Leviticus chapter 15, how touching an unclean person or object made another person unclean. Leviticus 15.31 tells us that these laws were to keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. At that time, God tabernacled or tented, dwelt, in his, made his dwelling with humans in the temple, and no unclean persons were allowed in. John's Gospel in the New Testament starts with this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In verse 14, we're told, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Son of God came to earth to live as a human being. Isn't that amazing? Verse 34 says, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So Jesus doesn't rebuke her for touching him and making him unclean. Instead of the woman making him unclean, Jesus cleanses her. Nor does he chastise her for delaying him from getting to Jairus' house. You know, 
He was a busy man. Everybody wanted him to do something. Jairus was well known. He was a synagogue leader. Who was she? Instead, Jesus shows her compassion and he commends her for her faith. Her faith in Jesus' power, her faith in Jesus' ability to heal, and it not only made her well physically, but it saved her. It provided the basis for her salvation. She's been made well, and she's been saved. Now the law specified that once a woman was cleansed, she had to wait seven days after which she would be clean. And on the eighth day, she had to take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. Step back and just for a minute and compare this miraculous healing with the other story, the one that makes up those two slices of bread between which this healing occurred. So the other story is about a leader of the synagogue named Jairus and his desperate plea to have Jesus go to his house and heal his daughter. We know his name and we can assume that he was really well known. He was probably respected. And in all likelihood, he was financially secure. But we don't know the name of this woman who had the discharge of blood, the one who was considered unclean, a social outcast because of it, and broke, by the way. We do know that both of them were desperate. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. The woman had the issue of blood for 12 years. Both are healed. Being touched by the woman with the discharge and touching a dead body would both render somebody unclean. In both cases, Jesus turns things around and he cleanses. He heals. Can you imagine what Jairus was thinking when the crowds and Jesus were on their way to his house to heal their daughter And all of a sudden, they stop because this woman crawls through the crowd and reaches out and touches Jesus and he stops to talk to her. My daughter's dying. She needs your help. And you're stopping to talk to this unclean woman? Hmm. She's been healed. My daughter still needs healing now. And then Jairus is told that his daughter is dead. Both Jairus and the woman with the the issue of blood had faith, didn't they? Both acted on the faith and approached Jesus. Jairus came, he fell at Jesus' feet, and pleaded with him to come and heal his daughter. The woman approached from behind, thinking it would be enough to simply touch the fringe of his garment. We don't know if Jairus was ready to give up following the confirmation that his daughter was already dead. It's certainly possible that his hopes were dashed at that time. Jesus encourages him and tells him, don't be afraid, just believe. 
As an aside, Matthew's account notes that she was already dead when he approached Jesus. And then on the other side, so he was encouraged and the woman with the bleeding was commanded for her faith. So what are the implications of this for us? The Bible is clear that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The woman we looked at this morning suffered from an ongoing issue of blood and this left her unclean, poor. She was isolated and little, if any, hope for a decent future in Jewish Jewish society. We all have an issue of some sort that makes us, quote-unquote, unclean and separates us from God. Well, that doesn't exclude us from society the way it would have in her day. It does exclude us from something far, far more important, namely a relationship with our Creator. As we read in Leviticus, atonement had to be made once the person was declared clean. Our cleansing, our atonement, was affected by the blood that Jesus shed on our behalf. One person's blood was a temporary problem. Jesus' blood is the permanent solution for us all. In Romans 3.21, we read from, uh, and we're going to read from the NIV on this one. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Another version, other versions of the Bible use the word propitiation instead of atonement. For example, the English Standard Version starts verse 25 with, whom God put forward as a propitiation as blood to be received by faith. But the idea is, the concept's the same. It's something has to be done to deal with the sin that was there. Elsewhere in the Bible, we're told about how this affected the reconciliation. Our faith needs to be grounded in who Jesus is and what he has accomplished on our behalf. It's grounded in the reality that the Bible is factual. It's been proven to be so. We can have faith in all sorts of things, but it's meaningless if those things have no substance. God's love for us is real. Jesus being the Son of God is real. The fact that Jesus died and rose again is real. And the fact that we're lost without him is also real. And so the question is, is our faith grounded in those realities? Romans says that if you confess, sorry, Paul in his letter to the Romans says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone believes in him will not be put to shame. Indeed, we sung about shame and the fact that there's nothing that heaven can't heal. We can lay down our burdens, lay down our shame. And those chains are broken in Jesus. I hope and pray that everyone here has, or if not, will have very soon, accepted God's gift of salvation through Christ Jesus. It's the most important decision a person can make in their life. Now we know that God wants us to relate to him. He wants us to talk to him. He wants us to ask and pray. One possible pattern for prayer is based on the word acts. It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We need to be careful that our prayers aren't just treating God as a miracle worker who's going to solve all our challenges. It can't be, gimme, 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 please bless me, bless me, bless me. That would be just nothing but supplication, right? There's other parts to the prayer that aren't just about what we we're looking for. That kind of prayer where it's just the gimme, 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 that's what some, what some children might put on paper and send up to the North Pole once a year. And that's not who God is. While the woman was seeking healing, Jesus was seeking a personal encounter. And again, sometimes we'll see healing, sometimes we won't. Ultimately, God is looking for us to draw close to him and to put him first in our lives. It makes perfect sense if we call him Lord. It is, however, a pretty tall order for times that people, at least for me, who want to be in control of what they're doing during the day. So what does this mean in practical terms? There are many chapters in the New Testament that speak to various aspects of Christian living. Some have a list of, you know, these are things not to do because you've done them before and stay away from them. If you're doing them, then you need to examine yourself. Here are some good things that you want to do or reflect. And the New Testament is full of those things. If memory serves me correctly, one of our previous preachers has suggested that we can read, I think it was Galatians and Ephesians, if you want to get a, a feel for some of those and indeed, there's quite a few different uh, references in, in the New Testament. I'm going to close with just a, a few verses from Colossians 3, though. I think that gives us a, a good snapshot of how a believer should live. If you then have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give me thanks to God the Father through him. So let's be putting our faith into action and to God be the glory. Thank you, Steve. We, we were in Africa uh, ministering to women with chronic problems with all sorts of chronic diseases and uh, it uh, was transforming to see them healed and, and brought into a, a feeling of value again. They went from shame to being honored and I think that's what Jesus was also accomplishing in this woman's life as she as he made this one who is broken into a into a hole again and, and brought her into this relationship. Father, we thank you for for being able to come this morning to having the opportunity to to sing these hymns of praise and worship and be together to hear this message, Lord, about healing to be encouraged by the person of Jesus who who has compassion. He looks upon those who are in situations that may be considered to be desperate and impossible and shows that everything is possible with God. We thank you, Lord, for the examples of faith that results in the healing that Jesus brings. We thank you for prayer, the opportunity that we can bring to a wonderful God our needs, knowing that God hears us. And we thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. And may we be caught up in the person of Jesus. May we be caught up in the incomprehensible beauty and majesty and and love that represents our God. May we be caught up in adoration and praise and worship. And may our list of things we ask for be short compared to the praise and the worship that we ask and bring to you. May we be parted today, Lord, with a blessing and our heart encouraged. We thank you, Jesus, for just the opportunity to be in this place today. We all say, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.